question before we begin this. Why did you put these two together? Because I don't understand. I'll talk about that. How about we'll, we'll do a little, we'll do Perfect. natural. We'll do it some ad lib. Uh, I like natural. It. Perfect. Yeah. I could be surprised when you say it and yeah. everyone will know. Yeah. All right. I'll be anticipating it. Okay. Welcome to Secondhand Stories. I'm your host, Jim Zabo. And I'm your co-host. Hey, everyone. I'm back. You can't get rid of me. And what's your name? Oh, Colleen. Sorry, everyone. Colleen Stewart here. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we hope everybody likes our new format. We were really happy to do it um, last week. We really like how the last episode turned out, and we hope everybody else liked it, too. And I hope you weren't annoyed by my voice, as I was. She's on speakerphone, so sorry about that. Correct. So we're still experimenting with our format a bit, and we used to do themes within our episodes, but now that we're adding some commentary and we're weekly and running shorter episodes, we're going to have themes that go across episodes. So last week we had Apricot Ice Tea by Zach Slingsby, and while we only really talked about it being a perfect day that Emily had planned, it was really about doing things for the ones that you love. This week we'll continue on that theme, but really this week's story and next week's story will be a little bit more refined. So today we have Vikings by Rachel Bruff, and next week we'll have Three Hearts by Melissa Palmer, and Colleen doesn't really know why they're paired together. I don't. I'm I'm not going to play dumb here. I really have no idea. We were originally going to put both of these stories in one episode, but then it got too long anyway. I asked Colleen to write the original episode description, and she said, Uh, we got Vikings and we got some octopus, and why did they go together? We don't know. So just listen up. But Is that actually what I wrote? Something like that. I don't remember the exact words. Why do you even let me do this? (laughs) That is like incoherent behavior. God bless. So on their face, they are kind of oddly matched stories, but I'm going to say why I think they belong together and, you know, you can disagree or agree. And I can be enlightened. And Colleen can agree or disagree, too. She might still think I'm crazy. So, Maybe. Um, so today we've got uh, Vikings by Rachel Bruff. Um, basically, all I want to say about this before we start um, is that Rachel reads it for us. She's got a killer Scottish accent. We just listened to a little bit of it before killer, we started this. everyone. Killer. And it's a touching coming-of-age tale. That's pretty much all I want to say with that. So, without further ado, here's Rachel's story. Vikings. Muck smeared Ingrid's face. The river howled past as she desperately hid in the crevice of the great oak of Burnham Wood. Her two pursuers, once her friends, neared ever closer. She clutched her sword in her left hand, camouflaged her red coat with her wooden shield, and waited. A single magpie perched on a branch above Ingrid and she could see its inky eyes gaping down. The ground was carpeted with brown leaves which crunched underfoot, exposing the approaching girls. On the mark of the fifth noise, Ingrid burst from her hiding place and wielded her blade at the pair. They challenged her, brandishing their own weapons. Would you truly betray me thus? Ingrid's sword wavered only slightly at the sight of two round, grinning faces. Steal my treasures and cut my life short. Ye betrayed us long afore. The shorter adversary cried, sword held aloft. Ingrid Erickson, you fled the battlefield and sullied your father's good name. You must pay the blood price. A moment's standoff occurred as the opponents considered each other's strength. 
Judging herself more agile, Ingrid spun around and sprinted through the woods. She dodged trees, already knowing the path to the banks of the Tay. Boots trampled leaves, arms pumped through air and hair splayed out under her helmet. She built distance between herself and her would-be executioners. They called after her, taunts and aggressions that were lost in the static noise of approaching water. The trees thinned and Dunkeld Bridge appeared in view. Ingrid was certain of her freedom but a loose tie on her boot snagged on something half buried and she clattered to the ground. Sitting defeated on the boggy ground, her hands clenched a bruised knee and promptly burst into tears. Through her tears, she saw her friends approach in complete Viking costumes. Louisa and Neve dropped their plastic weapons at the sight of their friend's injury. You all right, Ingrid? Looks a badge in this time. Neve's eyebrows pressed together. She crouched down and yanked up the leg of Ingrid's cut-off jeans to assess the wound. Ingrid winced. Skin is nae broken. You'll live. There's something, like, shiny here. Louisa was distracted by the offending object, poking out of the soil which had tripped Ingrid. Louisa's bare fingernails collected dirt as she uncovered a small silver bowl. What is this? Distracted from her pain, Ingrid's face lit up. It's a quake! Seeing her friend's lack of enthusiasm, she expanded. Come on, you're both Scottish, right? It's a friendship cup. If we drink from it, we'll be connected. Kinda like blood sisters without needing to hurt ourselves. I'll always do anything for you two, and you'll always do anything for me. Then, like Viking brothers, we'll all go to Valhalla together when we die. That's Viking heaven. Small brown eyes glowed with the excitement of their discovery. Ingrid clambered down the bank to the water, expertly navigating the muddy terrain, and filled the cup. It's probably crawling with worms and germs and stuff, worried Louisa. We could, like, die. Dinny be dramatic, Neve replied. If you dinny drink it, I'll run an arrow through you. Neve's green eyes gleamed mischief, but Louisa knew better than to call her friend's bluff. Ingrid held the brimming cup out and her nervous friend grasped it hastily, spilling most of the water. Careful, warned Ingrid. It's bad luck to pour it out. We have to drink it all. The ritual was clearly sacred to her, having been obsessed with the Viking history of their village for so long. I read it in Vikings of Scotland. Thorfinn the Mighty had one just like it. He was the one who ransacked the cathedral, but his was wooden, and see here, these twisty bits are the handles. You have to hold both. Louisa nodded in understanding realising the importance of this moment to her friend. Ingrid's obsession with the Viking troop who had invaded their village was a centrepiece of their fantasies. She gripped the quake tightly in her small hands and took a drink of the river water. The typically small-seeming quake appeared in proportion to her hands and face. She could almost have been slurping Heinz tomato soup from the bowl. Neve drank next, all three girls remaining silent except for a few splutters, before Ingrid completed the rite. She emptied the cup, wiped it dry with her cotton sleeve, and carefully placed it inside of her drawstring bag. Looking back through the woods, Ingrid noticed the lone magpie had found a friend. Two for joy, she smiled at her partners. Come on, we better go get changed before mass. They walked home, 
hand in hand in hand. Ten years on. Fuck's sake, Lou, what are you no getting? She wanted it, we need to. Wiping stray hairs from her messy ponytail back against her head, Neve grew frustrated. In the past two days, they had only slept a few hours and had reached a crunch point. They had been standing outside for nearly an hour, her toes were freezing and her mum had already phoned twice to see where she was. A decision had to be made. Between choked sobs, Louisa managed to speak. I just, like, can't, you know? Like, it's not right. Her words grew in pitch and volume. Her breathing hitched and her throat produced a strangled noise. Neve subsided, reaching out to comfort her oldest friend. They held hands like they were still six. She said in her text, you read it. Her mum won't listen, she wants traditional. Or less traditional, I guess, depending. Neve hesitated, not knowing how to convince Louisa of her plan. Nabdi'll know it was us. They stood by the oak, matching scarves wrapped tightly around their necks in a vain attempt to ward off the cold. Both girls still wore their St Columba's high school uniforms under their winter coats, and Neve restrained from rolling her eyes at Louisa's deliberately tight skirt. Their street had been too crowded to have this particular conversation privately. We'll date dead late tonight, after midnight. Louisa still shook her head. You know you sound crazy, right? This is so crazy. She was mental. Didn't call her mental? Obsessed then with all this shit and it's not normal. I won't do it. We have to, Lou. She, I don't care what Ingrid said. I'm not helping you give her a fucking Viking funeral. Louisa's tears flowed faster. I'm not stealing her body. I'm not putting her in a boat and I'm not fucking setting her on fire. The girls were both silent as they considered their stalemate. Two days had passed since they opened identical text messages from Ingrid. By the time they reached High Street, the ambulance had taken her away and her totaled car was gone. It wasn't a joke to her, Lou. She was going to study this shit at uni. Viking archaeology. I didn't like it either, but we have to. Suck it up. We're the Vikings now. At Neve's insistence, Louisa composed herself. She tightened her scarf. I'll look into it. See what they actually did in that. See if I can think of how to do it. I can't talk about this right now. I'll see you later. She walked home towards the bridge, leaving Neve alone. Neve opened the front door of Louisa's house without knocking. Slipping her nikes off at the porch, she turned into the living room, stopping when she realised that Louisa's mum was restricted to the couch by the burden of Ingrid's mother, Maureen. In her pyjamas, an untouched cup of tea still beside her, Maureen was weeping enough to have already destroyed a dozen tissues. To Neve, her cries sounded like wild birds squawking. Without speaking, Louisa's mum pointed over Maureen's shoulder at Neve and then in the direction of the staircase. Not needing to be told twice, Neve found Louisa at the desk in her bedroom. Sorry, was finishing tea. What did you find? Well, turns out Vikings never even burned bodies, or sailed them down the river, or anything. They put them in the ground, same as us, and buried them with, like, stuff that was valuable to them. So what? Neve puzzled. She wants us to sneak in her MP3 player and a bloody baseball cap? 
I think it was more about things they had discovered or won or stuff that would, like, help them in the afterlife. When did you get to be the smart one? Neve chuckled, despite their morbid conversation. She was glad of the focus their shared task demanded. Someone has to be now. Louisa knew Neve's strained smile was echoed on her face. After two nights of no sleep, the purple half-moons under Neve's eyes weren't any darker than the ones below Louisa's. She continued. Neve, she really thought we'd understand this text. Like, not much time. I know you'll do anything for me. Give me back my Viking send-off. She's trusting us to have her back and I just don't know how. Should we Google how to hijack your pal's funeral? Neve's feigned stoned-faced expression finally broke Louisa's tense mood and she laughed. Let's just keep thinking of things she'd want. Or things she'd want back. See, she says to give her it back, like she didn't have it anymore. Neve looked for approval from her friend. Come on, Lou, you know where I'm going with this. What did she not have anymore? What did she lose? What was taken? Slowly, Louisa understood what Neve was saying. It was in the old vow Ingrid had quoted back to them in her text. Their oath to do anything for each other. The binding drink they shared from the quake. The quake which turned out to be an ancient, priceless relic and was now displayed in the Cathedral Museum. The quake Neve wanted to take back. Neve, no, that's still too dangerous. We can't steal. It's no stealing. We discovered it. It's Ingrid's spoils from our battle. It's a symbol of the three of us. This is what she meant. It should be buried where? And the church has been burgled before. Ingrid's always... was always... going on about the Vikings stealing shit from it. We'd be playing Vikings for her. Finders Keepers is not a valid argument after, like, age ten, and Ingrid was not a Viking no matter how much she wanted to be. We can't rob the church. How no? What have they done for us? That bitch kicked us out the choir just because she caught us with a bottle of Magners. That wasn't the minister, though, argued Louise. Might as well have been. He said fuck all about it. What if we get caught? Louise, chewing her bottom lip, drew blood. What are they going to do? Arrest us? Just Duncan MacDonald chasing us on his bloody bike with a flashing blue light on his helmet? Not fucking likely. Listen, you promised. Anything always, remember? As midnight approached, the two girls crept up the riverbank towards the church. Clad in black from head to toe, Neve had insisted they carry their old swords. It's all about the voyage, we have to do it right. She dragged hers across the ground as she walked, the noise scraping against Louisa's ears. The churchyard was surrounded by a crumbling wall that was easily clambered over. Three magpies stood motionless on adjacent bricks, as though waiting for them. Six pebbly eyes reflected the limited light from the sky. Neve recalled the old rhyme Ingrid had taught them. As they walked up the church's path, she began to murmur. One for sorrow, two for joy, three for a girl, four for a boy, five for silver, six for gold, seven for... She paused. Shit, what was seven? Lou? Louisa was distracted by the large wooden door they had reached, and the rhyme was forgotten. The church door proved to be unlocked and Louisa exhaled as Neve swore at the loud groaning noise it had caused as it swung open. Pausing for a moment, they crept inside. The porch was black and the girls were glad of their torches. 
The great hall was quickly illuminated and they passed through to the museum room, testing the floorboards for creaks as they walked. Danger and darkness waited in the crevices and behind every doorway. The brave adventurers did their best not to startle as the noise of fighting magpies shattered the silence. Neve gripped her sword a little more tightly. Louisa fell a step behind. Just round this corner? Aye. Ancient Scottish Quake, the markings read. Found in Burnham Wood by local resident. Neve scoffed at the vague description, but was silenced by a warning glare from her partner. Since they uncovered it, nearly ten years ago, the quake had been cleaned and polished, but still held its original enchantment. Lit by a small spotlight, this was Ingrid's quake, the myth. The cup of friendship and loyalty, the lost treasure. The pair grinned at the sight. Neve laid down her sword and stepped behind the tall cabinet. From the back, the glass case opened without a struggle. Plundering wasn't a modern concept in Dunkeld. The quake was triumphantly retrieved, replaced with an imitation temporarily borrowed from Neve's father. Neve, Louisa whispered through the stillness, worrying at her bottom lip before continuing. I have to tell you something. The admission fractured their Viking fantasy. The small glow of the quake's spotlight illuminated Louisa's nerves. She held her hands together, twisting her fingers in and out of connection. I got into Glasgow. For dental hygiene. I just chanced it and applied. Didn't think I'd get in, but I did. The quake slipped out of Neve's grip and clanged against the brick floor, echoing for three long seconds in the acoustics of the ancient building. You're leaving. They both waited in a long silence, knowing that the dead air should have been filled by a mediating voice. Instead, their emotions stalled. Sometimes, three was a crowd, but two was a stalemate. Neve stepped away, bending to retrieve their treasure and departing into the night. Wait! Louisa struggled to catch her friend. Battles had been far easier as children without the burden of double Ds. They were beside the church wall once again before Neve finally burled on her heels. Seriously? Even after everything that's happened? You can't bloody abandon me and all? Louisa's words failed her and her eyes brimmed with tears. In the midnight air, Neve's fingers cramped against the cold metal of the quake. Considering their spoils, she softened and stepped back towards Louisa. Look, just not the now, right? She offered a weak smile, holding up the quake. She'd have fucking loved this. Louisa rushed at Neve, gripping her around the waist tightly. Although huffing in protest, Neve allowed her friend the contact. In her distraction, she didn't notice as Louisa stealthily stole the quake from her hands and bolted in the direction of the woods. Neve raced down the hill, holding her sword above her head, laughing. If she hadn't been wary of detection, she would have howled at the moon. Louisa ran ahead of her, arms held wide as an aeroplane, basking in this one last experience of their friendship, running through the trees towards the river and the great oak. The tea was settled. As the girls kneeled beside the water, they could hear each other breathing. Moonlight reflected on the water and Neve recalled Ingrid once pointing out Orion, 
the heroic hunter who could have walked on the water. Without explaining, Neve filled the quake from the river and passed it to a grateful Louisa, who, this time, drank without objection. Lou. Neve broke the silence that they had been clinging on to for the past half hour. I'm going to tell you something. She avoided Louisa's eyes. My mum wants me to go to work with her. At the pub. Soon as I'm eighteen. She doesn't think I'll get anything else. I didn't want to get stuck here, Lou. You'll just have to come with me to Glasgow then. You can sleep under my bed. That'll be fucking right. Neve hesitated. I'm proud of you. Louisa's shoulders dropped and she released her bottom lip from between her teeth. Yeah, me too. The girl sat for longer, hands still joined, waiting for the next day to begin. They walked down the aisle together. Ingrid lay at the bottom, placid and strategically covered. When they got to her, Neve and Louisa simultaneously reached for Ingrid's hands, layers of fingers clasping together. Their parents followed them down to the front of the church, sliding into the front aisle, their place next to Ingrid's own mum and dad. Stage whispering, Neve spoke first. We did it, Ingrid. We brought it. We didn't let you down. Conveniently, Ingrid's lower half was draped in a shawl. While Ingrid's parents were occupied in a huddled embrace with the other four adults, Louisa slipped the quake under the cloth. The shiny metal was only just cooler than Ingrid's hand. Louisa remembered Ingrid's face when they had discovered the cup. It was a joy they had been sure would never fade. The church was cold and Neve wriggled a little, uncomfortable in her scratchy formal coat. Her words fought not to leave her swollen throat. You'll get into Valhalla now, pal. I'll see you there if I can. At a loss for a moment, Louisa felt like a child. She brushed some hair off of Ingrid's face before leaning over and kissing her forehead. I'll see you later, right? As they made to slip away, Neve hesitated. Anything always, pal. She looked at her friend for confirmation. Lou? Yeah, of course. Anything always. They sat next to each other in the church, hand in hand. At the wake, they acted in disbelief that the quake had been stolen and provided airtight alibis for one another. Two days later, they floated their Viking weapons down the Tay on a makeshift raft. Walking back along the riverbank, Neve and Louisa noticed the black and white birds at the same moment. Counting in unison, they reached seven before the birds scattered away from their presence. Months later, when the stone was engraved, Ingrid Smith, beloved daughter, they were the only people who knew it should have read Ingrid Eriksson, Viking Queen of Burnham Wood. Rachel Bruff is a writer from Glasgow, Scotland, and is currently studying for an MLIT in creative writing at the University of Glasgow. Mostly, she writes poetry, but she's recently been concentrating on pieces which have refused to be anything other than prose. So, do you have any uh, any quick quick reactions to the story here, Carl? 
Um, I liked it a lot because, like I just mentioned to you earlier, it reminds me of Game of Thrones, even though it has, like, little to nothing in common with it, but it just gives me that vibe. I'm getting the feeling the accent's very similar, mm-hmm. and it's very currently happening and starting again soon, so I got excited about that. But what I did like, and, like, I think, it's you know, it kind of has that same, I think we've talked about this, or maybe... I haven't talked about it to you and verbalized it to you, but that um, kind of like stand by me friendship, like we're in it to the end, you know, depending on them for whatever you need, like that kind of vibe to it also. And I think that's always just a nice, a nice thing to hear about friends. I mean, even Mm -hmm. if they disagree, like they do in the story, you know, Mm -hmm. they always end up realizing that their friendship was more important. I love the accent. I love her dialogue. Mm-hmm. I think she does an excellent job mm-hmm. creating her characters through dialogue, which is really hard to do, especially if you're trying to do it through um, either like an accent or a dot di- or a um, dialect. What's the word dialect? Um, a dialect. It's like. Um, do you ever read Zora Neale Hurston's "Their Eyes Are Watching God"? No, I have not. Well, "Their Eyes Are Watching God." Zora Neale mm-hmm. Hurston. She does this also very well and like she perpetuates the black dialogue and you know the black experience like extremely well and in an in a way that satisfies all parties so mm-hmm. you know no one feels like they're being um misrepresented uh, misrepresented and like or like alienated no yeah. one feels like they're being al- being alienated because she is like Either if you're white, like, I'm showing you what's going on and, like, I'm including you because I, I, I want you to understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. Or if you're black and, like, I'm trying to explain your experience and maybe it's not exactly how you lived, but it's something you can relate to something in it. Everyone mm-hmm. can relate to something in it. And I think with this, this kind of pulls out that same notion of, like, I'm not Scott. Well, I am Scottish, but I'm not from Scotland. I'm of, of Scottish heritage. But I... I've never been to Scotland. I'm not Scottish. I don't speak in that dialect, but I can still pull things out of here and be like, I I can connect to that in a way that is meaningful and makes me want to read the story again, which I did. And Mm -hmm. it's very good. So I think that's, that means it's a good story. Yeah. And I, I think one of the best parts of doing stories in an audio format is that you get to speak everything out loud. And I think the most natural or the best way to cultivate your dialogue is to practice it out loud. So like, this is kind of the perfect venue, the perfect Avenue for a story like this, because you're listening to, it doesn't really matter how it looks on the page. Like as I was reading it, I'm sure as you were reading it too, I was like, okay, I can sound all these things out, but they don't like, these aren't words that I'm used to seeing like Danae, like that's not something that I'm, I see on an, on a day-to-day basis, but hearing it, I'm like, okay, I know exactly what that is. And like no need to edit right. that You're out. You're so or anything. right because when we just listened to that, I was like, now I know how to like what that. Like I had an idea of like what like what that context clues of like what the word was, for what like, what function it was performing in the sentence. Mm-hmm. But when I had the same experience when reading this at first, I was like, okay, that's a weird word. Like I spent time trying to figure out how to say it and like read it rather than just you know enjoying the story for what it was. And mm-hmm. I think that hey. We're doing something right here. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, <laughs> We're doing it. 
what I kind of took away from the story is, and I, I had like a conversation about this with my cousin over, or, you know, a couple of my cousins over the 4th of July, like everybody, nobody really knows what they're doing. Like everybody's just kind of doing their best. Adults are really just grown up kids who have to figure things out, you know, without the aid of people who are older than them, even though those people are just big kids too. And what I mean by that is like Louisa and Neve like stole something from a church probably not the best thing to do but they're trying to do right by Ingrid and like that's what she wanted and they had to like wrestle with that and come to a decision and you know if they were 18 or if they were 40 like they'd still be you know wrestling with that decision in the same way and um I don't know I think just what I took from it is people are trying to do right by you know what they think is is the right thing to do and that really to me leads into our next story and kind of what that's all about this okay so this story threw me through a loop let me tell you next time on secondhand stories thanks to rachel and melissa for sending us their stories um thanks to you for choosing to slow down and listen up with us hell yeah uh i want to thank lisa heidel uh, contributor of The Whaler from episode three, still one of my favorite stories. Um, she's been tweeting about us a lot lately. We've been getting some followers from her, I think. Um, Lisa rules. So I just want to thank Lisa, and I think, hint, hint, we might be hearing some more from her soon. I'm excited. Yep. All right. So uh, we'll see everybody next week. Uh, next week. See ya.